Hello, I'm Byron Reese. I am the host of Voices in AI. If you're interested in the topics we discuss in these podcasts, I'd urge you to check out my newest book. It's called The Fourth Age. It's about conscious computers and artificial intelligence and the future of work and jobs and all of the topics we cover here on Voices in AI. It comes out uh, next spring, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon or wherever else you order books from. This is Voices in AI, brought to you by GigaOM. I'm Byron Reese. Today, I'm so excited that our guest is James Barrett. He wrote a book called Our Final Invention, subtitled Artificial Intelligence and the End of the Human Era. James Barrett is also um, a renowned documentary filmmaker, as well as an author. Welcome to the show, James. Hello. So let's start off with, uh, what is artificial intelligence? Very good question. Um, Basically, I, I, artificial intelligence is when, intelli- in, when machines perform tasks that are normally ascribed to human intelligence. I have a very simple definition of intelligence that I like because the you know, artificial intelligence, the definition just throws uh, the ideas back to humans and human intelligence, which is the intelligence we know the most about. But the, the definition I like is intelligence is the ability to achieve goals in a variety of novel environments and to learn. And that, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a simple definition, but a lot is packed into it. Um, your, your intelligence has to achieve goals. It has, to, it has to do something, whether that's play Go or drive a car or solve, uh, solve proofs or navigate or, or identify objects. If it doesn't have some goal that it achieves, it's, it's not very useful intelligence. If it can achieve goals in a variety of environments, if it can do object recognition and do navigation and do car driving like our intelligence can, then it's, it's better intelligence. So it's, it's goal achieving in, in a bunch of uh, novel environments and then it learns. And that's probably the most important part. Intelligence learns and it, and it builds on its learning. And you wrote um, a widely well-received uh, book, uh, Artificial Intelligence, Our Final Invention. What is the, can you explain to the audience just your overall thesis and the, 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 main, the main ideas of the book? Sure. Uh, our final invention is basically making the argument that AI is a dual-use technology. A dual-use technology is one that can be used for great good or great harm. Right now, we're in a, a real honeymoon phase of AI where uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of nifty tools come out of it, and a lot more are on the horizon. Um, you know, AI right now can read, uh, can find cancer uh, clusters in, uh, in x-rays better than humans. Uh, it can, it can uh, do business analytics better than humans um it's ai is doing what first year legal associates do it's doing legal discovery so we're finding a lot of really useful applications it's going to make us all better drivers because we won't be driving anymore but it's a dual use technology because uh for one thing it's going to be taking a lot of jobs you know there are five million uh drivers professional drivers in the united states seven million back office uh accountants those jobs are going to go away and a lot of others. So the thesis of my book is that we should look, we need to look under the hood of AI, look at its applications 
look who's controlling it. And then in the longer term, look at whether or not we can control it at all. Let's start with that, that point and, and work backwards. Why, what, that, that's an ominous okay. statement. Can we, can we um, record it at all? What are, what are you thinking there? Can we control it at all? I'm sorry, okay, well, let's, yes, let's, control it at all. Well, let me, let me start. Let me start. Actually, I, I, I prefer to start the other way. Um, Stephen Hawking said, the, the trouble with AI is in the short term, who controls it? And in the long term, can we control it at all? And um, in the short term, we've already suffered some from AI. You know, the NSA recently was, was accessing your phone data and mine and getting your phone book and mine. And it was basically seizing our phone records. And that that's, used to be illegal. It used to be that if I wanted to seize to get your phone records, I needed to go to a court and get a court order. And that was to avoid abridging the, uh, the Fourth Amendment, which, is, which prevents illegal search and seizure of property. Your phone messages are, are your property. Um, the NSA went around that and grabbed our phone messages and our phone data, and they were able to sift through this ocean of data because of AI, because of advanced data mining software. One other example, one other, and there are many, one other example of uh, in the short term and who controls the AI is right now, there are a lot of countries developing battlefield robots and drones that will be autonomous. And these are robots and drones that kill people without a human in the loop. And this is a, this, these, are, these are AI issues. And they, you know, there are 56 nations developing battlefield robots. The most sought after will be autonomous battlefield robots. There's an article just a couple of days ago about uh, the Marines have, an, have a, uh, uh, a robot that shoots a machine gun on a battlefield they control it with a tablet, but their goal, as stated there, is to make it autonomous, to work on its own. In the longer term, we, I'll, put it, uh, I'll put it in the way that Arthur C. Clarke put it to me when I interviewed him. Arthur C. Clarke was a mathematician and a physicist before he was a science fiction writer. And uh, he created the HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey, probably the most famous homicidal AI. And he said, uh, when I asked him about, you know, the, the sort of the control problem of artificial intelligence, he said something like this. He said, we humans steer the future not because we're the fastest or the strongest creature, but because we're the most intelligent. And when we share the planet with something that's more intelligent than we are, it will steer the future. So the problem we're, we're facing, the problem on the cusp of is, uh, I can, I can simplify it in, with a concept called the intelligence explosion. And the intelligence explosion was, was an idea created by a statistician named I.J. Good in the 1960s. And he said, um, once we create machines that do everything as well or better than humans, one of the things they'll do is create smart machines. And we've seen, uh, we've seen artificial intelligence systems slowly begin to do things better than we do. And it's, it's not, it's not, it's not a stretch to think of about a time to come when artificial intelligence systems do advanced AI research and development better than humans. And I just did say then, then when we, when that's, when that happens, we'll, we, we humans will no longer set the pace of intelligence advancement. It will be, uh, machines will set the, the, the pace of advancement. The trouble with that is, we know nothing about how to control 
a machine or a cognitive architecture that's a thousand or a million times more intelligent than we are. We have no experience with anything like that. We can look around us for analogies in the animal world. How do we treat things that we're a thousand or a million, a thousand times more intelligent than well, we, we treat we treat all all animals in a in a very negligent way. We you know and, and the smart ones we treat you know they're either endangered or they're in zoos or we eat them. So, and that's that's a very human centric analogy, but it's it's I think it's probably appropriate. Let, let's push on this just a little bit. So, do you? Sure. Do you believe? So, some people say AI is is kind of this specter of a term now that it isn't really anything different than any other computer programs we've ever run, right? Like it isn't, it, it, it's hmm. better and faster and all of that, but it isn't qualitatively anything different than we've had for um, decades. And so why do you think that, and, and when you say the AIs are going to be smarter than us, a million times smarter than us, Smarter is, a, is also a really nebulous term. I mean, they may be able to mm -hmm, yeah. do some incredibly narrow thing better than us. I may not be able to, um, you know, drive, drive a car as well as an AI, but that doesn't mean that same AI is going to beat me a Parcheesi. So why, why do you think, what do you think is different? Like, why isn't this just incrementally, because, you know, so far we haven't had any, any any trouble what do you think what do you think is going to be the catalyst or what is what is qualitatively different sure. about what we're dealing with sure. well you did, there's a lot of interesting questions packed into what you just what you just said um and and one one thing you said that's really i think it's important to draw out is that there are many kinds of intelligence there's there's emotional intelligence there's rational intelligence there's some kind there's kind of instinctive and animal intelligence and so when I say uh, something will be much more intelligent than we are, I'm, I'm using a shorthand for it will be better at our definition of intelligence. It will be better at solving problems in a variety of novel environments. It will be better at learning. And, and to, 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 to put what you asked in another way, you're saying that there's an irreducible promise and peril to every technology, including computers. That it's, there's, there's, you know, all, all technologies, back to fire, have some good points and some bad points. AI, I find qualitatively different, and I, I'm argue, I'll argue by analogy for a second. Um, AI to me is like nuclear fission. Nuclear fission is a dual-use technology capable of great good and great harm. Nuclear fission is the power behind atom bombs and behind nuclear reactors. <clears throat> when we were developing it in the 20s and 30s, we thought nuclear fission was a way to get free energy by splitting the atom. Then it was quickly weaponized, and then we used it to, to incinerate cities. And then we as a species held a gun at our own heads for, for 50 years with the arms race. We threatened to, to make ourselves extinct and, and almost succeeded a number of times, and that struggle isn't over. To me, AI is a lot more like that. You said it hasn't been used, it hasn't been used for, for nefarious reasons. I, I totally disagree. I think it's, I just, I gave you an example with the NSA uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Facebook was was uh, was caught up because they were targeting uh, emotionally challenged and and uh, despairing children for 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 advertising. To me, that's that's totally that's extremely exploitive, and it's it's a rather soulless and exploitive 
uh, commercial application of artificial intelligence. So I think these pitfalls are, you know, are, are around us. Uh, it, they're already taking place. So I think the qualitative difference with artificial intelligence is that intelligence is it's kind of our superpower, our, our the human human superpower. Um, it, it's the ability to 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 be to be creative. It's the ability to invent technology. That was one one thing Stephen Hawking brought up, brought up when he was asked about what are the what are the pitfalls of artificial intelligence. He said, well, for one thing, they'll be able to develop weapons we don't even understand. So I think it's I think it's you know the qualitative difference is that AI is the invention that creates inventions, and uh, we're on the cusp. Uh, this this is happening now. And we're on the cusp of uh, of, a, of an AI revolution that's going to bring us, you know, great great profit and also great vulnerability. You're no doubt uh, familiar with Searle's Chinese Room kind of question, but but all all of the readers, yeah. all the listeners may not. So let me set that up and then get your thought on it. Uh, it, sure. it goes like this: there's a there's a person in a room, um, a giant room full of very special books, and uh, he doesn't. We'll call him the librarian, and the librarian doesn't speak a word of Chinese. He's absolutely uh, unfamiliar with the language. And people slide him questions under the door that are written in Chinese. And what he does, what he's learned to do, is you look at the first character in that message, and he finds the book of the tens of thousands he has that has that on the spine. And, and in that book, he looks up the second character. And the book then says, okay, go pull this book. And in that book, he looks up the third and the fourth and the fifth, all the way till he gets to the end. And when he gets to the end, uh, it says, copy this down. And so he copies these characters, again, that he doesn't understand, have any clue whatsoever what they are. He copies them down very carefully, very faithfully, slides it back under the door to somebody outside who picks it up, a Chinese speaker. They read it, and it's just brilliant. It's just absolutely brilliant. It's, it rhymes. It's, you know, it's haiku. I mean, it's just awesome. <laughs> now the question that that the kind of the the the, the tada question at the end is: Does the man, does the librarian understand Chinese? Does he understand right. Chinese? Now, yeah. many many people in the in the computer world would say yes. I mean, Alan Turing would say yes, right? Like the room, the Chinese room passes the Turing test. The yeah, the, the Chinese speakers outside, as far as they know, they're conversing with the with the Chinese speaker. Yeah. So, do you think the man? understands Chinese and do you think this is and if he doesn't understand Chinese because obviously yeah. the the analogy of it is that that's all a computer does I mean a computer doesn't understand right. anything it doesn't know if it's talking about cholera or coffee beans or anything whatsoever it runs this program and it has no idea what it's doing therefore it has no volition and therefore has has uh, no consciousness therefore has has nothing that even remotely looks like human intelligence. So what would you say to that? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the, the, the Chinese room problem is fascinating and you could write, you could write books about it because it's about the nature of consciousness. And what, what we don't know about consciousness, you, you could fill many books with. And I, I, I used to think I wanted to explore consciousness, but it, it I, you know, it, it made exploring AI look easy. Um, I don't know if it matters that the, that the, that the, the machine thinks uh, as we do or not. The, the, I think the point is, is that it will be able to solve problems. We don't know about the volition question. Let me give you, a, let me give you a, a, another analogy that uh, when, when Ferrucci, he, he was the head of Team Watson, he, asked, he, asked a very provocative, he was asked a very provocative question, is Watson thinking when it beat 
all those uh, masters at Jeopardy. And his answer was, does a submarine swim? And what he meant was, and this is a, a twist on, the, on the take, a take on the Chinese room problem, he meant uh, when they created submarines, they learned principles of swimming from fish. But then they created something that, was, that swims farther and faster and carries a huge payload. So it's really much more powerful than fish. It doesn't reproduce and it doesn't do some of the miraculous things fish do. But, it, but as far as swimming, it, it's really got it, you know, it does it. Uh, does an airplane fly? Well, the aviation pioneers used principles of flight from birds, but quickly went beyond that to create things that fly farther and faster and carry huge payload. I don't think it matters. Uh, you know, so two, two, two answers to your question. One is, I don't think it matters, and I don't think it's possible that the machine will think qualitatively as we do. Uh, and and so I think it'll be It'll, it'll, it'll sink farther and faster and carry a huge payload. I think it's possible for a machine to be generally intelligent in a variety of domains. We can see uh, intelligence growing in a bunch of domains. If you think of them as rippling pools, uh, rippling, rippling uh, ripples in a pool, like different, different uh, circles of expertise ultimately joining, you can see how general intelligence is, is, is sort of demonstrably on its way. Whether or not it thinks like a human, I think it won't, and I think that's a danger because I think it will be uh, it won't have our mammalian uh, uh, sense of empathy. Um, it'll also be good because it's, it won't have a lot of sentimentality and a lot of cognitive biases that our brains are labored with. Um, but you said it will it won't have volition, and I don't I don't I don't think we can bet on that. Um, in my book, Our Final Invention, I interviewed at length Steve Amahundro who's taken upon himself, he's, a, he's an AI maker and physicist, and he's taken it upon himself to create more or less a science for understanding superintelligent machines or machines that are more intelligent than we are. And among the things that he, he, he argues for using rational agent economic theory, and I won't go into the whole thing, but it's, it's in our final invention. It's also in Steve Amahundro's many websites. Machines that are self-aware and, so, and, can, and, and, and are self-programming, he thinks, will develop basic drives that are not unlike our own. And they include things like self-protection, creativity, efficiency with resources, and uh, other drives that will make them very challenging to control. Unless we, unless we get ahead of the game and create this you know, science for understanding them as, as he's doing. So I think we can, you know, I think right now computers are not uh, generally intelligent. They're not conscious. They're not all the things, all the limitations of the Chinese room they have. But I don't, I think it's unrealistic to think that we're, we're frozen in development. And I think it's very realistic to think that we'll create machines whose cognitive abilities uh, match and then outstrip our own. But, but just kind of going a little deeper on the question. So we have this idea of intelligence, which there's no consensus definition on it. Then within that, you have human intelligence, which again, mm -hmm. there is something we certainly don't understand. Human intelligence comes from, um, you know, our brain, which is, people say, the most complicated object in the galaxy. We don't understand how it works. We don't know how thoughts are encoded. We, we know incredibly little in the grand scheme of things about how the brain works. But we do know that, that humans have these, this, this, these amazing abilities like consciousness, and, um, and the ability to generalize intelligence 
very effortlessly. We can, we have something that certainly feels like free will. We certainly have something that feels like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and all of that. Then on the other hand, you think back to clockwork, right? You wind up a clock back in the olden days and it, and it just ran a bunch of gears. And, and while it may be true that the computers of the day add more gears <laughs> and have more things, all we're doing is winding it up and letting it go. And, and isn't it like not only a stretch, not only a supposition, not only just sensationalistic to say, oh, no, no, someday we'll add enough gears that you wind that thing up and it's, it's actually going to be a lot smarter than you. I mean, isn't that, I mean, at least it's fair to say there's absolutely no, nothing we understand about human intelligence and human consciousness and, and human will that even remotely implies that uh, something that's a hundred percent mechanical, a hundred percent deterministic, a hundred percent just wind it and it doesn't do anything. But well, you, you, yeah. You're wrong about it being 100% deterministic, and it's not really 100% mechanical. Um, I, I, I don't know, you know, when you talk about things like will, will is such an anthropomorphic term. I'm not sure if we can really, if we, well, if I, we I, can I, I, I'm specifically saying we, have, we have something that feels yeah. and seems like will. Well, it's, the thing is, it, it, that we it, don't understand. If, 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 you look, if you look at artificial neural nets, there's a great deal about them we don't understand. Um, we know what the inputs are. And we know what the outputs are. And when we want to make better outputs, like a better translation, we know how to adjust the inputs. But we don't know what's going on in a, in a, in a multi-layered neural net system. We don't know what's going on in a high-resolution way. And that's why they're called black box systems. In right. evolutionary algorithms, in, let me finish. In evolutionary algorithms, we have a sense of how they work. We have a sense of how they combine pieces of algorithms, how, they, how we introduce mutations. But we can't, we don't, we, often we don't understand the, uh, the, the output and we certainly don't understand how it got there. So that's not completely deterministic. There's a certain amount, there's a, there's a, a, a bunch of stuff we can't really <clears throat> determine in there. And I think we've got, uh, we've got a lot of unexplained behavior in computers that's, you know, at, at this stage, we, we simply attribute it to our lack of understanding. But I think in the longer term, we'll see that there, that, Computers are, are, are doing things on their own. I'm talking about um, uh, a lot of the algorithms on Wall Street, a lot of the flash crashes we've seen, a lot of um, the uh, cognitive architectures. There is not one person who can describe the whole system. The quants, they call them, are the, the guys that are programming Wall Street's uh, algorithms. Um, they've already gone in, in complexity beyond... Uh, any any individual's ability to really strip them down. So, you know, when we're surrounded by by systems of immense power, you know, Gart Gartner and company think that in the AI space, uh, because because of the exponential nature of the uh, the investment, it was I think it started out in it, it's doubled every year since 2009. Gartner estimates that by 2025, uh, that that space will be worth $25 trillion of value. So to me, that's not, uh, that's, that's, that, that, that does a couple of things that, that anticipates enormous, enormous growth and, and enormous growth in power in what these systems will do. We're, we're in an era now that's different from other eras, but it is like other industrial revolutions 
we're in an era now where everything that's um, electrified, to, to paraphrase Kevin Kelly, the futurist, everything that's electrified is being cognitized. Um, we, we can't pretend that that will always be, that it will always be like a clock. Even now, it's not like a clock. If you get a clock, you can, you, can, you can take apart and you can understand every, every piece of it. The cognitive architectures we're creating right now, you know, when, when, when Fuji was watching Watson play, he didn't, he, and he said, why did he answer like that? There's nobody on his team that knew the answer. Why, you know, when he made mistakes, it, it, it did really, really well. It beat the humans. But it's, to compare it to a clock, I think, is, I think that's, that's, that, that's, that's the wrong metaphor. Well, let's, let's, let's just poke at it just one more minute and then and we can move on to something else. Sure, is sure. it really, is it really fair to Anything say like. that because humans don't understand how it works, it must be somehow working differently than other machines? Put another way. Yeah, yeah, just, so it, it is fair to say because, because we've added enough gears now that nobody can kind of keep them all straight. I mean, like nobody understands why the Google algorithm, even at Google, turns up what it does when you search. Uh, but that nobody's, right. nobody's suggesting anything non-deterministic, nothing emergent, anything like that is happening. I mean, computers oh, are. I don't, I don't know. Uh, computers are completely uh, de deterministic, are they not? Oh, I, I mean, don't think they. I don't think they are. I think. I think. I think. If they were completely deterministic then enough brains put together could, could, figure, could figure out a, a multi-tiered neural net. And I don't think there's any evidence that we can right now. Well, that's exciting. I'm not saying that it's coming up with brilliant new ideas, but a system is so, so sophisticated that it defeats Go and teaches grandmasters new ideas about Go, which is what the grandmaster who defeated three out of four times said. It said, I have new insights about this game that nobody could explain what it was doing, but it was thinking creatively in a way, in a, but thinking creatively in a way that we don't understand. It's go is go is not like uh, chess, you know, on a go board, you know, a chess board. I don't know how many, how many positions, possible positions there are, but it's calculable on a go board. It's, it's incalculable. There are more, I've heard it said, and I don't really understand it very well. I've heard it said there are more positions on a go board, possible positions than there are atoms in the universe. So, so, so when it's, it, it's, when it's, when it's beating go mass, so therefore playing the game requires a great deal of intuition. It's not just pattern matching. Like I've, I've, I've played a million games of go and now I like that. And that's sort of what chess is. Chess is, you know, the grandmasters are people who've seen boards, you know, every board you could possibly come up with. They've probably seen them before and they know what to do. Go is not like that. It requires a lot more uh, sort of, undefinable intuition. Um, and so, and that's, we're moving rapidly into that territory and that's, you know, Go takes advantage the, the, the program that beat the Go masters is called AlphaGo. It comes out of DeepMind. DeepMind was bought four years ago by Google. <clears throat> Going deep into uh, to reinforcement learning and artificial neural nets. So it's not, you know, I think, I think you could, your argument would be apt if we were talking about, uh, you know, some of the old languages, Fortran, Basic, Pascal, where you could, you know, look at every line of code and figure out what was going on. That's no longer possible. And you've got Go Grandmasters saying, uh, I, I, I've learned new insights. So we're, we're in a brave new world here. So you had a, a great part of the book where you um, 
I think do a really smart kind of roll up of when we may have an AGI where you kind of um, look mm. at different ideas behind it. And, and the, the question I'm really curious about is this. On the one hand, you have uh, Elon Musk saying, you know, we, we can have it much sooner than you think. You have Stephen Hawking, who you quoted. You have Bill Gates, who's saying he's worried about it. So you have, you, have, yeah. you have all of these people who say it's soon, it's real, and it's potentially scary. We need to watch what we're doing. Then on the other camp, you have yeah. equally, equally um, uh, people who are equally immersed in the technology, equally smart, equally, 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 all mm -hmm. these other things, like Andrew Ng, yeah. who up until recently, you know, um, headed up uh, AI, well, at, yeah. exactly, who says worrying about AGI is like worrying about overpopulation on Mars. Um, you have <laughs> other people, yeah. uh, other people yeah. saying the soonest it could possibly happen is 500 years from now. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm curious this, why do you think among these big brain, super smart people, why do they have, like, like what is it that they believe or know or think or, or whatever that gives them such radically different views about this technology? What do you, why, how, how do you kind of get your head around why they differ? Excellent question. I first heard that, uh, I first heard that Mars analogy from, um, it was, I think it was Sebastian Thrung, uh, who said, uh, you know, we don't know how to get to Mars. We don't know how to live on Mars, but we know how to get a rocket to the moon. And, and gradually and slowly, little by little, you know, it was Peter Norvig, who, who wrote the sort of standard text on artificial intelligence called AI, a modern approach. He said, you know, we, know, we, don't, we can't live on Mars yet, but, we're, but we're, we're putting the rockets together. We're, we're, you know, some companies are putting in some money. We'll get, we're eventually going to get to Mars and there'll be people living on Mars and then people will be setting another another horizon. We haven't left the soul, we haven't left our, our solar system there. Um, it's a very interesting question and, and very timely uh, about when, when will we achieve human level intelligence in a machine, if ever. I did a poll about it. It was kind of a bias poll. It was about people who were, who were at a conference about AGI, about artificial general intelligence. And then I've, I've seen a lot of polls and there's, and there's two points to this. One is, the polls go all over the place. Uh, some people said, you know, Ray Kurzweil says 2029. Ray Kurzweil has been very good at, at anticipating the progress of technology. He says 2029. You know, Ray Kurzweil is working for Google right now. This is parenthetically. He said he, said he wants to create a machine that, that makes uh, 300 trillion calculations per second and to share that with a billion people online. So that's, what's that? That's basically reverse engineering of a brain it makes you know making 300 trillion calculations per second which is sort of a rough estimate of what what a brain does and then sharing it with a billion people online which is making making uh super intelligence a service which would be incredibly useful you could you could do you could do pharma pharmacological research you could do you know really advanced weather modeling and climate modeling you could do you could do you could do uh, weapons research you could develop incredible weapons um, he says 2029. Some people said 100 years from now. The mean date that I got was about 2045 for human level intelligence in a machine. Um, and then my book, Our Final Invention, got reviewed by Gary Marcus in The New Yorker, and he said something that stuck with me. He said, whether or not it's 10 years or 100 years, <clears throat> the, the more important question is what happens next? Will we... Uh, will, will we Will it be integrated into our lives? 
or will it be a, will it suddenly appear uh, how will how are we positioned for our own safety and security when it appears whether it's in 50 years or 100 so i think about it as you know I, nobody thought go was going to be beaten for another 10 years um and the, here's here's another way. So those are the two ways to think about. It. One is there's a lot of guesses, and two does it really matter? What matters is what happens next. Uh, but the third part of that is this that I write about in, in our final invention. If we don't achieve it in a hundred years, do you think we're just going to stop, or do you think we're going to keep beating at this problem until we until we solve it? And and as I said before, I don't think we're going to create exactly human-like intelligence in a machine. I think we're going to create something extremely smart and extremely useful to some extent, but something we, in, in a very deep way, don't understand. So I don't think it will be like, a, like human intelligence. It will be like an alien intelligence. Um, so that's kind of where I am on that. I, I think, I think well, it could happen uh, in a variety, a variety of timelines. It doesn't really matter when, and we're not going to stop until we get there. So ultimately, we're going to be confronted with machines that are a million, a thousand or a million times more intelligent than we are. And, you know, what are we going to do? Well, I guess the underlying assumption is it speaks to the credibility of the forecast, right? Like if, if there's a lab and they're working on inventing the light bulb, they're like, we're trying to build the incandescent light bulb. And you go in there and you say, when will you have the incandescent light bulb? And they say three or four weeks, five weeks, five weeks <laughs> yeah, tops, yeah. we're going to have it. Yeah. Or if they say a uh, yeah. hundred years, it may be 500. I don't know. I mean, in, in those <laughs> things, you, you take a completely different view of do we understand the problem? Do we know what we're building? Do we know how to build an AGI? Do we, I mean, do we even have a clue? Or do yeah. we just, do you believe here, or here, let me ask it this way. Do you think an AGI is, sure. is just an evolutionary, like, um, you know, we, 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 we have AlphaGo, we have Watson, and we're making them better every day, every day, every day. And eventually that kind of becomes gradually this AGI. Or do you think there's some aha thing we don't know how to do? And, and at some point we're like, oh, here's how you do it. And this is how you yeah. get a synapse to work. Or, so do you think yeah. we, we are 19 revolutionary breakthroughs away? Or no, 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 we're on the path. <laughs> we're going to be there in three to five years. Well, you know, Ben Gritzel, who, who's definitely in the race to make AGI, and I interview him in my book, said, we need some sort of breakthrough. And, I don't, and, and then we got to artificial neural nets and deep learning, and deep learning combined with, with reinforcement learning, which is an older technique. Um, and that was kind of a breakthrough. And then we started, then people started, you know, uh, to beat IBM's, IBM's uh, Deep Blue, to beat, it, to beat chess, it really was just looking up tables of positions. But to beat Go, as we, as we discussed, was something different. I think we just had a big breakthrough. Um, I don't know how many revolutions we are away from, from a, a breakthrough that makes the intelligence general. But let me give you this, let me give you this sort of, uh, the, the way I think about it. If you, if you take, there, there are, there's long been talk in the AI community about uh, an algorithm. I don't know exactly what they call it, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's basically a problem, an open domain problem solver that asks something simple like, what's the next best move? What's the next best thing to do? Best being based on some goals that you've got. What's the next best thing to do? Well, that's sort of how, they, how DeepMind took on all the Atari games. They, they could drop the, uh, drop the algorithm into a game 
And all, it didn't even need to know the rules. It just noticed when it was scoring or not scoring. And so it was figuring out what's the next best thing to do. Well, if, if, it draw, if you can drop into every Atari game and then you drop it into something that's a, a, an incredible, like a whole many orders of magnitude above it, like Go, then what, what's, why are we so far from dropping that into a robot and setting it out into the, into the, into the environment and having it learn the environment and learn common sense about the environment, like, you know, things go under and things go over and I can't, I can't jump into the tree, I can climb the tree. Um, it seems to me that general intelligence might be as simple as a program that says, what's the next best thing to do? And, it, and then it learns the environment and then it solves problems in the environment. So I think, uh, you know, so some people are going about that by training algorithms, artificial neural net systems and defeating games. Some people are really trying to reverse engineer a brain one neuron at a time. And there's, that's sort of the top, that's in a nutshell, to vastly overgeneralize, that's, that's called that's the bottom-up and the top-down approach uh, for, for, for creating AGI. So are we, are we a certain number of revolutions away, or are we going to be surprised? I'm, I'm surprised a little too, too frequently for my own comfort uh, about how fast things are moving. Faster than when I was writing the book. Um, I'm, I'm wondering what the next milestone is. Uh, I think the Turing test is not, has not, I think the Turing test has not been achieved or even close. I think that's, a, that's a good milestone. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if IBM, which is great at issuing itself grand challenges and then beating them, but, and then, you know, it, what's great about IBM is they're, they're, they're upfront. Uh, they take on a big challenge. You know, they were beaten. Deep blue was beaten several times before it won. Uh, when they took on Jeopardy, they, they weren't sure they were going to win, but they had the chutzpah to get out there and say, you know, we're going we're to try. And then they won. I bet IBM will say, you know what, in 2020, we're going to take on the Turing test. And we're going to have a machine that you can't tell. You can't tell that it's, it's a machine. You can't tell the difference between a machine and uh, and human. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised all the time. I don't know how, I don't know how far or how close we are, but I'd say, I'd say it's, I come at it from a position of caution. So I would say the window in which we have to create safe AI is closing. Put a Hello? little more. Yes. No, I'm with you. Put a little, uh, I was just <laughs> taking that in that I needed, I'll insert some <laughs> ominous dun, dun, dun. Um, take, take that Sorry, a little you know, everybody, further. Every, everybody has a everybody has a role to play in this conversation, and mine happens to be canary in a coal mine. You know, no, like, no, no, I, no. Despite despite the title of my book, I really like AI. I like its potential, mm -hmm. its medical potential. Um, I don't like its war potential. I don't like you know if we see autonomous battlefield robots on the battlefield, you know it's going to happen. Like every other piece of used you know, military let's, equipment, let's it's going to come out. Well, no, but it's, you know, but the thing is about, about the military and the thing is about technology is, you know, if you told my dad that he would invite into his home a representative of Google and that representative would sit in a chair in the corner of the house and it would take down everything we said and it would, it would, it would sell that data to, to our insurance company. So our insurance rates might go up and it would sell that data to mortgage bankers. So they might cut off our, our ability to get a mortgage because dad keeps talking about going bankrupt. 
My dad talks about his heart condition. He can't get insurance anymore. But if we were gonna, if we'd hire a corporate guy and we pay for it and we put him in our living room, well, that's exactly what we're doing with, uh, with, with Amazon Echo with all the digital assistants. All this data is being gathered all the time and it's being sold, you know, it's buying and selling data is a, like a $4 billion a year industry. So we're doing really foolish things with this technology, things that are bad for our own interests. So let me ask you uh, an open-ended question. Um, prognostication over, you know, shorter, shorter time frames is always easier. Tell me what you think is in store for the world, um, oh, I don't know, between now and 2030. The next 13 years, talk to me about, about unemployment, okay. talk to me about yeah. economics, all yeah. of that. Tell me the next 13 years. <laughs> well, you know, brace yourself for some, some uh, you know, some futurism, which is a pretty, which is, you know, a, a, a giant gamble and often long. Um, well, to paraphrase Kevin Kelly again, everything that's electric, electric will be cognitized. Uh, the our economy will be dramatically shaped by uh, the cognitive, you know, the, 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 the ubiquity of, of artificial intelligence with the Internet of Things with the intelligence of everything around us, our phones, our cars, my, I can already talk to my car. I'm inside my car. I can, I can, I can ask for directions and I, I can uh, do some other basic stuff. That's going to just get smarter until my car drives itself. Um, a lot of people, you know, uh, MIT did a study that was quoting a Cambridge study that said 45% of our jobs will be able to be replaced within uh, 20 years. I think they, they downgraded that to like 10 years. Not that they will be replaced, but they'll be able to be replaced. But you know, when AI is a $25 trillion, uh, when it's worth $25 trillion in 2025, everybody will be able to do anything, uh, will be able to replace any employee that's doing anything that's re remotely repetitive, and this includes doctors and lawyers, will be able to replace them with AI. And this cuts deep into the middle class. This isn't just people working in factories or driving cars. This is all accountants. This is a lot of the doctors. This is a lot of the lawyers. Um, so we're going to see giant dislocation, uh, or giant disruption in the economy and giant money being made by fewer and fewer people. And the trouble with, you know, and so the trouble with that is that we've got to figure out a way to keep a huge part of our population from, from, from starving, from not, get, from not making a wage. Um, People have proposed a, a basic minimum income, but to do that, we would need tax revenue. And the big companies, Amazon, Google, Facebook, they pay taxes in places like Ireland where there's very, a very low corporate tax. They don't pay taxes where they get their wealth. So they don't contribute to your roads. Google's not contributing to your road system. Uh, Amazon isn't contributing to, uh, to your water supply or to, or to, or, or to making, uh, to making, your, your, your country's safe. So there's a giant inequity there. So we have to confront that inequity. And unfortunately, that, that's going to require political solutions. And our, our politicians are about the most technologically backward group in our, in our culture. So what I see is I see, I see a lot of unemployment. I see a lot of nifty things coming out of, out of AI. And I, I'm willing to be surprised by job creation in AI and robotics and automation. And I, I'd like to be surprised by that. But the general trend is when you replace, uh, you know, the biggest um, contract manufacturer in the world, uh, Fox, Foxconn, just replaced 30,000 people 
in Asia with 30,000 um, robots. And, you know, all those people can't be retrained because what, what, if, you're, if you're doing something that's that repetitive and that mechanical, what can you be retrained to do? Well, maybe one out of every hundred could be a floor manager in a robot factory. But what about all the others? Can, you know, we're gonna, the, the, the disruption's going to come from all the people that don't have jobs and there's nowhere to be, there's nothing to be retrained to. Because, you know, our, 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 our robots are made in factories where robots make the robots. But our cars are made in factories where robots make the ro cars. Isn't that the same argument they used during the Industrial Revolution, though? They said, you got 90% of the people out there who are farmers, and we're going to lose all these farm jobs, and you don't really expect those farmers are going to, like, come work in a factory where they have to learn completely new things. I mean, they're, you know, they have well, to learn what, all what, well, what really happened? What really happened in the different technology revolutions back from the cotton gin onward is a, a, a small sector. You know, the industrial revolution didn't suddenly uh, put farms out of business. A hundred years ago, ninety percent of people worked on farms. Now it's now it's ten percent. But what happened with the industrial revolution? Sector by sector, it took away jobs, but then those people could retrain and could go to other sectors because there's still giant sectors that weren't. Uh, weren't replaced by, by, by industrialization. There's still a lot of manual labor to do. And some of them could be trained upwards into management and into things. This, this as, as, uh, as uh, the author Ford wrote in The Rise of the Robots, and, this, um, and the, the, there's also the, the, a great book called The Fourth Industrial Age, as they both argue, um, what's different about this revolution is that intelligence works in AI and, and it works in every industry. You're, so we're not, it's not like the old revolutions where one sector was replaced at a time and there was time to absorb that change, time to reabsorb those workers and retrain them in some fashion. But everybody's going to be, you know, when, when, when it's not just, it, 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 uh, my point is all sectors of the economy are going to be hit at once. Uh, the ubiquity of AI is going to impact a lot of the economy all at the same time, and there's going to be giant dislocation all at the same time, and it's very unclear, unlike in the old days, how those people can be retrained and retargeted for jobs. So I think it's very different from other industrial revolutions or other technology revolutions. Uh, other than the adoption of coal, went from generating 5% to 80% of all of our power in 20 years. The electrification of industry happened incredibly fast. Uh, mechanization, the replacement of, of animal power with mechanical power happened incredibly fast. And yet unemployment remains 4 to 9%, 4 to 9%, 4 to 9% in this country, other than the depression without ever even uh, hiccuping. Like no matter what disruption at, no matter what speed you threw at it, uh, the economy never uh, couldn't just use that technology to create more jobs. And isn't it maybe just yeah, I, a lack of, yeah. a lack of imagination that says, well, no, now we're out and no more jobs to create are not ones that these people who were displaced can do. I mean, isn't, isn't that's that what good, people would have I, I said for 200 years? Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good, that's a, that's a somewhat persuasive argument. I think you've got, I think the good point is that, um, that the economy was able to absorb those jobs and the, and the unemployment remained steady. I, I do think this is different. I don't think 
you know, I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a puzzle and we'll have to see what happens. Um, but I can't imagine like, where do, where do, you know, professional drivers are, 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 they're not, they're not unskilled labor, but they're right next to it. And it's, it's, it's the job of choice for people who don't have a lot of, a lot of education. What do you retrain professional drivers to do once their jobs are taken? Well, you, you know, it's not going to be factory work. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be simple accounting. Um, it's not going to be anything repetitive because that's going to be the job of automation and, and AI. So, you know, it's, I, I anticipate problems, but you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'd love to be pleasantly surprised. I'd love to be, you know, if, if it worked like the old days, then, uh, all those people that were get off the farm would go work in factories and make, make Ford automobiles and make enough money to buy one. Um, I don't see all those people, all those driverless people going off to factories to make, to make cars or to make any, to, to manufacture anything. A, a case in point of what happens, what's happening is um, rethink robotics, which is Rodney Brooks company just built something called Baxter. And now Baxter, there's some Baxter is a generation old and I can't think of what replaced it. But it costs about twenty-two thousand dollars to make to get one of these robots. These robots cost basically what a minimum wage worker makes in a month, in a year. But they work twenty-four-seven, so they really replace. You know, they can do three shifts, so they're replacing three people. Um, where do these people go? Do they go to shops that make Baxter? Are there maybe 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 you're right? Maybe it's a failure of imagination to not be able to anticipate the jobs that will be created by, by, by Baxter and by autonomous cars. I, I, you know, it, 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 it's failing, but right now it's failing a lot of people's imagination. Um, and there's not, there's not ready answers. If, I mean, if, if it were 1995 and the internet was, you know, you were, you're just hearing about it and just getting online and just hearing it. And somebody said, you know what? Well, there's going to be a, a lot of companies that just come out. They're going to be worth hundreds of billions of dollars, one after the other, after the other, after the other. Right, all because right, right. all because we've learned how to connect computers together and use this hypertext protocol for them to communicate. I mean, that would not have seemed yeah. like a reasonable surmise. No, and that's a great example. Um, well, uh, you know, if you if you if you you know if you were told that uh, trillions of dollars of value are going to come out of this this uh, this invention. Who'd have thought? Uh, so let's talk about. Know, it may, it may, it may we just, maybe we just, you know, maybe I personally just can't imagine the next wave that's going to create that much value. Uh, and and I can I can see how AI and automation will create a lot of value. I only see it going into a few pockets, though. <laughs> I don't see it being, you know, distributed in any way that uh, the Silicon Valley startups at least initially were. So let's talk about you for a moment. Your background is in document, uh, documentary filmmaking. Um, yeah. What are you, what, do you see yourself returning to that world? What are you working on? Another book? I mean, what's, what kind of is uh, yeah. keeping you busy yeah. uh, by day right now? Well, I, I like making documentary films. So I, I just had one on PBS last year. If you Google uh, spillover and PBS, you can see it streaming online. It was about spillover diseases, Ebola, Zika, and, and others, and it was about about the Ebola crisis and how viruses spread, and uh, and then now I'm working on a, 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 a film about paleontology about a recent discovery that's kind of secret that I can't talk about, 
in, uh, in, uh, from, from 66 million years ago. And I am working on an, I am starting to work on another book that I, that I can't really talk about. So, um, and I'm keeping an eye on, on, on AI because it, this, this, this issue is, uh, you know, it's, um, there's, a, I, I, despite everything I've, I, I talk about, I, I'm, I really like the technology. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's pretty amazing. Um, well, let's close with, um, give me a scenario that you think sure. is plausible that, um, that things work out that, that we have okay. something okay. that looks like yeah. full employment Good. and okay. Good Byron. That's a, that's a great, great way to go out. Um, I see people getting individually educated about the, uh, the promise and peril of AI so that, so that we as a culture are, are ready for the revolution that's coming. And that forces um, businesses to be responsible and politicians to be savvy about developments in artificial intelligence. Then they invest some money to, to, uh, to make artificial intelligence advancement transparent and safe. And therefore, when we get to machines that are as smart as humans, they're actually um, our allies and never our competitors. And that somehow on top of this, giant wedding cake I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that we also managed to keep full employment or, or, you know, nearly full employment. So that, that would be because we're aware and because we're, we're, uh, we're working all the time to make sure that the future is kind to humans. All right. Well, that is a great place to leave it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to thank you very much. And, um, well, thank you. Great, great, uh, great questions. Great. You know, I, I really enjoyed the back and forth. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, please check out the other ones. And in addition, I host another podcast about artificial intelligence. It's a daily podcast called The AI Minute. And every day, it's a minute or two of reflections about artificial intelligence. It's available wherever you find your podcasts of choice. But in addition, it's an Alexa skill, so it can be part of your flash briefing every day if you own an Alexa device. Yes.